Let us now hear the word of God. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here ends the reading of the word of God. Let us go to God in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all who are gathered here this morning be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to give a disclaimer before we get into this. A disclaimer that uh, there's times in our lives when, when scriptures speak to us, when there's sermons preached that we begin to get defensive and we plant our, our, our feet firmly in the ground, we cover our ears or, or we begin getting angry. If we find ourselves getting defensive, I ask that you take a moment and you pause. You breathe and pray to the Holy Spirit and begin asking God, why am I getting defensive over this, your word, over this, your message? Oftentimes I have found as a pastor that when we get defensive about a subject in God's word, it's often because it is hitting us in a place that we need to change, that, that God is working on us. And, and so we get defensive and, and, and offended. And guess what? The gospel is offensive because it changes completely our perspective on the most basic level that we cannot earn our way to heaven. That's offensive. It's offensive because we've been told here in America that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make something of ourselves, but whatever we make of ourselves falls short of the glory of the Lord and that it's only through faith in Christ and his sacrifice, do we get salvation? Do we get heaven? Do we get God? There's nothing we can do to get it on our own. It comes from Jesus. So on the most basic level of the gospel, it's offensive. But when we start putting our heart into Jesus, when we fully trust and obey, he begins working on, as we, I talked about last week, if you were gathered here, habit transformation, or as we like to call in church, sanctification, this grace in process. So there's times that scripture is going to come up and we're going to get offended. Pause. Pray. Take a deep breath. No, I didn't specifically think about you when I wrote the sermon. If you believe that, God has a word for you. And those with ears, hear. So as we get into the scripture this morning, I want to go back one verse into verse 31 where it says, And when they had prayed, 
The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. See, right here in this moment, all the believers are gathered together. They had prayed for boldness to speak the word. The Holy Spirit has filled them, Scripture says. And then we get Luke's telling of what this new community in Christ looks like, what is part of their bold identity. But it's nothing new that Luke has written. We can go back to the day of Pentecost found in chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit fills them and Peter preaches and they come and say, what must we do next? Repent and be baptized. And then Luke once again tells us this community that's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He writes in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The last time the Holy Spirit filled the people... We saw, as Luke describes, they had all things in common. They were caring for all who believed in their brothers and sisters. When Luke uses the language brothers and sisters, when he uses the language all who believed, he's talking about those who are part of the faith community. And so here he tells us in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed, by this time it's over 20,000 because they have been added 5,000 and 3,000 and this thing is growing and they're located here in Jerusalem throughout the entire city. But it's all of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. I don't know about you, but if you get five people together and say, where are we going for dinner? You get 20 different options. (laughs) To have thousands of people be of one heart and one mind is nothing short of God. And it was located only within those who believe. Luke here is describing what a community Part of the identity of this community of born-again believers looks like. One heart, one soul, one desire that his glory be made known. Paul, the apostle, will write to the church in Philippi. And there in his letter, he will write these words in the first chapter, verse 27. Only let... Your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Heart and soul as one. Paul, when he 
writes his first letter to the Corinthians. He spends chapter 12 through 14 talking about this one body with many members. This oneness of heart and soul, of mind and body are important to being in the faith community. But we recognize, because we've read that verse before, verse 31, it's not something we can manufacture on our own. It's something that comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what comes with it is also an understanding that no one claimed anything belonged to them personally. They had all things in common. Some had land and houses and, and fields and they had other possessions, but they understood that it actually wasn't theirs. This is, is the truest of Christian understandings when we get to earthly possessions and resources and money. It's not ours. See, it, it, it's not that 90% is mine and 10% belongs to God. It's that all of it is God's all of the time. It was never mine to begin with. It was never mine now, and it will never be mine in the future. It's God's. And so we often find ourselves asking the question, how much of my stuff, of my money, should I give to God or to his church? But we're asking the wrong question when we do that. We put the focus on stuff that we own. And if we look at the stuff we own and what we're called to give to God or the church, well, it's none of it because we don't own anything but a filthy rag, according to scripture. The question we ask is, how much of God's stuff, of God's money, do I keep for myself? See, the question becomes different then. The perspective of the world changes. And it's not just money and wealth and resources. It's everything in our lives. It's all things in common. This one desire there of one heart and one soul that, that the Christ would be proclaimed and his glory, his honor, his purpose would be known throughout the world. That everything, our skills, our talents, our jobs, our time, our land, our assets, and our children and grandchildren, yes, they all belong to God. We are but stewards. A couple of years ago, I read a book uh, called Parenting by Paul David Tripp, uh, Parenting 14 Gospel Principles on Raising Your Kids with the Gospel, in which, as he outlines through the book, the, the, the point that was an aha for myself and my wife that completely changed the way we looked at who we were as parents is that our job isn't to raise good kids, to go to good schools, be good people and get good jobs. Our job as parents is to raise kids who know Christ. To raise kids who know Christ. And then Christ changes hearts. Christ changes lives. Christ changes habits. Christ transforms who we are as people. And people of Christ are generous and gracious. They're full of joy and love. They have self-control and kindness, peace 
and patience. Our goal as parents and grandparents is to raise kids who know Jesus. And I know part of that, we get into this trapping that we will take them to church so they can get their Jesus there. But I'm going to tell you some statistics. It's not enough. At best, kids who come every Wednesday and Sunday will get somewhere on average 40 to 60 hours of Christian instruction a year. That's not much. They get 40 to 60 hours of secular instruction within two weeks of school. And their time at home is far greater than that. So God has given us time, ability, and his word to raise our kids to know him. In fact, my eyes were opened even further just a couple weeks ago. An article came out, and the question was, why do we teach our kids to read? I don't know, because everybody needs to learn how to read, right? That's, it, it seemed kind of obvious. But, but the real answer to the question that they came to is that our, we learn to read so that we can read the Bible. We teach our kids to read so that they can read the word of God. Otherwise, reading is useless. Because if you can read, but you don't read the word of God, what are you doing with what he's given you. Feast on it. It's there for us to consume. See, it's all of this. Even the basics of reading is for his honor and his glory to know him better, to discern his will. It's why he gave all of this to us. And it comes down to those little moments. Avonlea was drafted on a new softball team this spring. And so she has a new coach and new teammates. And, and this coach, after she was drafted, sent a letter, an email to all the parents and said, um, I am a man of faith and I believe in Jesus. And I would like you to sign this permission slip so uh, the girls can pray at second base after every practice and game. This is a public city league. And this man of faith, James, came out and did this. I've never been more excited to sign a permission slip in my life. <laughs> And then he put practices on Wednesdays. <laughs> and I struggle with that. This last Wednesday, this week, he gathered the girls at second base. And usually they go over prayer requests and then he, lets, he leads in prayer or he lets one of them lead in prayer. But this time he took the time and he said, who here knows Romans 3, 23 and 24? And then he read it to him. These are the words that he took in the moment of softball to teach these girls. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And those girls learned on Wednesday that Jesus and knowing more about him isn't contained simply at church or even in their homes. That whether they hit home run in softball 
or they make an error in the field, that Jesus Christ is a gift for them and a gift for you and I. See, James understands that the gift he's been given to coach these girls isn't just to make them better softball players, but to help them know Jesus. And that all he does and has in his life is for his glory, his honor, and his name be known throughout the world. See, this isn't really a story about James. It's a story about a bold identity that began back with the first church of one heart and one soul, all things in common being filled with the Spirit. This is what believers do. Let everything be used for his purpose, his honor and his glory. See, in the scripture we read about this new community of faith, how they loved each other. They rejoiced with each other, that they were humble before one another. They were selfless amongst each other and they were sacrificial towards it and they were so preoccupied with others' needs, with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They were preoccupied with their needs that they held their possessions lightly in their hands because they knew it wasn't even theirs. The NIV does a a different job in in translating this, that when it gets here to uh, the verse about there was not a needy person among them for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They use the translation time and time. It wasn't everybody all at once. Even when he talks here in a moment about Barnabas, he sold a field, not all of his fields. That it's recognizing it's not ours and that when God calls us to give it for his purposes, we don't hold on and say, I can't do without it. Because what's true for us are those words Paul writes in Romans 3.24. We have been given a gift, redemption in Christ. There is no other thing we need for abundant living than Jesus. And we have been given him. We have been given forgiveness through him. Forgiveness because he went to the cross and he died for our sins and was resurrected so that we get God. Because we have this table in which we remember not only what Jesus did, but what it accomplished. That we have this relationship with God without barriers for which there is no greater gift. You can take everything from us in this world and he will never leave us or forsake us and we will still be the wealthiest people we know. See the description of this first church. 
when we read it, how they were of one heart and one soul, all things in common, and they were devoted to hearing the word proclaim and proclaiming the word to the world. We notice they were busy caring, too busy proclaiming the word to waste time over selfish bickering or personal pursuits or idle talk or gossip and backbiting or criticism and divisiveness or self-will being expressed, that they were of one heart and one soul because they were focusing on what God had called them to, the needs of each other and the proclaiming of the word. But it won't last long. It won't last long. And and today, the church is often criticized as being a, a group full of hypocrites. Because guess what? We're not perfect. And if you find the perfect church, as soon as you walk in, it won't be perfect anymore. That's Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this church, when it's filled with the spirits of one heart and one soul, but it's filled with sinners who are saved by grace and are having habit transformation, this sanctification, this grace in process, we aren't perfect and fully glorified until we come into the presence of Jesus And so, yes, it's going to get messy. Even when we get to next week, we turn the page into chapter five. Sin is there in the church, even at the beginning. But the bold identity is that the spirit fills us with unity. He calls us to lightly hold on to things of this world and be heavenly minded. See, even by all the other apostles, by the end of the first century, begin writing to churches and others about what is needed. John, the apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, even for the apostle John, he he understood that churches, it was no longer a given because sin is part of the church. And the devil is quickly trying to thwart any unity that exists. James writes in chapter two, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We can't earn our salvation, but the works that follow our faith are the fruit our faith produces. See, the root of the tree is rooted in Christ. And if a tree is rooted in Christ, it will produce good fruit, good works, good deeds. And clearly, from this very beginning, the church hasn't maintained our sense of unity, hasn't maintained that we hold everything in common and it's not ours. 
often we hold tightly onto our possessions instead of storing our treasures in heaven. Jesus says, speaks something about we cannot serve two masters. And Luke shows us here it's in our DNA to be generous. To be generous not only with the things of this world, but to be generous in the grace we give because it was such a gift we didn't deserve. To be generous with our compassion for our brothers and sisters. Luke writes about all of this demonstrating that what we have in Christ has freed us from loving our possessions, from needing our possessions. This next house, this next car, this next paycheck isn't going to make our life better than if we have Jesus. Jesus is who gives us abundant life. Life worth living and sharing. Life that transforms our hearts. See, and Luke writes about this here in Acts. He, he says this, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas didn't care about himself. Barnabas understood that church isn't a what's-in-it-for-me place. That church ultimately is the body of believers caring for one another with a what can I do to bring glory to God? How do I honor him? With my stuff, with my skills, with my job, with my family. Because Jesus left his high, holy place in heaven, came down, lived amongst us, was crucified without any sin, so that we may be forgiven as a gift of redemption, so that we may have life abundant and get God. Because we have God, we can freely share everything else, but most importantly, we also share him. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen.